to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today we're in Wheeling, Illinois, at Togi Factory with Mike Lee and Dave Lee. How's it going, guys? Good. This is Very Dave. Good. How are you? Doing great. Thanks very much for uh, for giving us a little bit of time. Uh, I had a day to, to kill in between Grid Life Track Battle Round 1 at Mid-Ohio and flying back to Los Angeles. So I know it was a, a little bit last minute, but appreciate you guys uh, being able to, to fit me into your schedule. Absolutely, my pleasure. Yeah. So yeah, Dave was actually uh, working on on some shocks when we came in. I think you you just finished them up, huh? Yeah, I was actually working on a E46 uh, rear dampers. Okay. For a customer, um, uh, it's a one-off custom uh, setup for him. So I was just finishing up when you walked in. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I know. A couple years ago, when I used to live in Chicago, um, you guys obviously did suspension stuff. But around that time, you really got pretty deep into it into revalving and doing custom valving and stuff so it's really cool to be able to come here and, and see you guys uh you know your setup and i think what was it mike i was here probably right before i moved away so probably four years ago yeah. and uh i was i was very impressed with the, the facility then and the caliber thank of cars you, that you, you guys uh work on and still to this day it's uh it's the same and even better actually so try so how uh, how long have you guys been around for uh we started in um, 2002 um, on paper. Um, I probably, you know, really uh, opened up to public in 2003. Okay. Um, and and um, yeah, it was just a one man shop, very small. Um, I started out actually uh, importing used parts from Japan. Oh, really? Yeah. O- overnight. Uh, no, not no, one night. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, I threw you a little off guard there. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I, I used to bring in uh, containers. And, okay. And um, basically uh, back in 2003, 2002, when I started, um, you know, there was uh, jspec.com. Uh, probably <laughs> all the new kids don't know, don't know what that is, but all the OGs know what that is. Uh, basically, uh, jspec was... Um, you know, importing used parts from Japan and, uh, you know, 2002, 2003, you couldn't uh, really get your hands on like work wheels or, you know, even Volk wheels uh, were, was pretty rare and, you know, coilovers, uh, you know, they weren't really available in the U.S. back then. So I was bringing, you know, um, uh, really cool wheels um, and, um, you know, a lot of suspension parts like coilovers and um, also like power FCs. Um, and that was when, uh, you know, uh, the drifting was just kind of like uh um you know s- starting to get big and yeah. uh that was when you know l- like super street magazines uh were featuring the marks you know the s- slice squad uh crew and um you know had features of uh how to do the sr sr swaps and things like that and so it was it was about to just kind of explode and you know i kind of um you know started my shop because um you know I had a 240, uh, you know, for a while, and I already had done the SR swap, and, um, you know, I was already uh, doing work uh, on the side for, you know, people I know um, just to help out, and then I decided to, you know, a few years after college to just save up some money and go to Japan and, you know, um, just went to all the up garages I could find and uh, gathered a bunch of parts, loaded up on the container, and bring it back, and uh, start hustling to, you know, all the local guys and, uh, luckily, there was, uh, you know, a group of, um, you know, guys that s- started a, a little group called Club FR, and that's where I met uh, a lot of the, the 240 guys, and I was, you know, mainly bringing in uh, parts for, you know, 240s and SR uh, parts, and, uh, you know, and all, all the, the new um, 
you know, friends and customers that I met were just kind of getting into the 240s too. So it was a really good timing and, um, you know, it really helped uh, to kind of fuel um, the industry and also, uh, you know, my business as well. So yeah, yeah, I actually did did the used parts thing for almost a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. How did you How did you get into cars? I know you said you know at that time you had your 240 and stuff mm-hmm. already SR swapped. I mean, at the time, you know, what was that? You said 2002 ish, 2003 ish. I mean, people were hardly even swapping Hondas and things like that at that time. Yeah. Like, how did you How did you already have an SR swapped 240? I mean, it, it had to have just been super super rare back then. Yeah. So. Um, I went to school in Minnesota, uh, University of Minnesota, and I met I met um, uh, a friend uh, through uh, you know a couple like local car guys who are all into Hondas, you know LSV Tech swaps and things like that. And there was this uh, one guy named Sean, and um, he was actually uh, from California. Okay. And uh, he had a a two forty, uh, which you know I've never even had an interest in, <laughs> and um, you know. Uh, he had a bunch of DVDs called, you know, Option, Option DVD. Yep. Yep. Or actually, no, I'm sorry. It was They weren't v, uh, DVDs. They were VHS tapes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, we started hanging out, and yeah, I went to his house one day, and he showed me, you know, Option um, uh, video, and I watched these uh, 240s just sliding around and, you know, uh, making smoke, and it blew my mind. I, like, didn't know what was happening, but it was amazing. Like, I instantly just fell in love with the car, the style, and um, and Sean was actually doing a little side business at his uh, out of his apartment, selling little you know shift knobs and you know little bulbs and stuff. So, um, and he was actually just starting his business, and uh, you know he had like lowering spring and wheels, and I thought it was the coolest thing because you know I, I I had a Nissan Maxima that was lightly you know tuned, and you know I I didn't want to get a Honda, so it was like perfect and plus the fact that you know it was rear-wheel drive and the drifting you know just blew my mind and you know and this was this is my uh uh first year in college so i think this was like 1995 wow so that's when the cars were you could still go to the dealership and buy one brand new yep uh yeah yeah actually uh the one that i picked up was actually you know one owner um and uh, it was actually at a pontiac dealership um and they're asking you know, close to seventy five hundred for it, and uh, they didn't even know the dealership. The dealer that was selling it didn't even know it was a rear wheel drive. I had to actually tell them that it's really? a rear wheel drive car. Yeah, in Minnesota, <laughs> yeah, it snows for like eight months of the year. Yeah, so that car like will will not sell. So yeah. I basically talked him down to like twenty five hundred from yeah seventy five because wow yeah they they wanted to get rid of it. You know, so uh, I bought it and then uh, rest is history. You know, we. I ordered a Sylvia, you know, conversion. Um, was that you know, an, an S13? It was a hatchback. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I I kind of uh, wanted to just start modifying it. And my friend Sean at the time had already had, like, a bunch of parts uh, at his at his apartment. So, you know, I, the, like, within a matter of hours, I had an exhaust intake. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I ordered, a, a, you know, Sylvia front-end conversion from j-spec um so yeah i actually you know had my 240 back in 95 and then um once i started doing that a few years after uh you know me and sean we both uh, started uh to import uh front clips um of uh uh you know sylvia's and 180s and uh, we first attempted the sr swap in sean's car probably two three years after i got my car 
and you know back then uh, we like had no information so um, and then the toughest thing was the wiring so and you couldn't get any information and I try to you know hit up uh, Mark uh, from Slice Squad, and you know he turned me down. If you're listening to this, Mark, I, I still, I, I still, <laughs> yeah, we talked about this, yeah, and and he 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 told me straight up that you know he got so many inquiries after the, you know, uh, his his car got you know featured and stuff. So um, he basically turned everyone down. So and I was huh. one of them. And uh, <laughs> eventually, you know, I, I don't remember who I got the wiring you know diagram from, but eventually I found one. And uh, I, you know, did my first, um, helped Sean do his first swap, actually ran good. And uh, after that, uh, I did my swap year after. I, you know, I was a broke college student, so I was working two jobs to afford it. And so I, I think I did, I did my swap back in like uh, maybe 98 or something like that. Okay. And then once I did that, um, you know, I, I, I start to uh, realize I was like one of the uh, first ones in Midwest other than Sean. So... Um, I started getting, you know, phone calls and, you know, back then, uh, there was a uh, fresh alloy in Zovia. So, you know, people started asking me, you know, information on the wiring and I met a couple, you know, local guys, you know, in Minnesota area, helped them do their SR, you know, swaps and stuff. So yeah, that's how I got started. And yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So was it, was it mostly back then it was mostly people just wanted SRs. Like there wasn't a whole lot of demand. Oh, I guess there wasn't a lot of demand for like RB swaps and stuff at that point, And probably not like CA 18 swaps and things like that. Even just trying to get SR clips, uh, just was, hard, hard was enough hard. as it was. Yeah. Because the industry just wasn't, you know, like ready for it. You right. know, and, and, uh, there were a few guys that had running SRs, but, uh, it was mostly just like, you know, just stock SR swap and, you know, just couple bolt-ons and that was it so like back then um you know when i first started my business in 2003 only downpipe you could get for sr swaps was uh blitz uh and blitz usa was the only one that was stocking it and back then blitz downpipe was around 480 dollars so you know <laughs> you could just imagine you know how the market has changed yeah. yeah so um and then uh yeah i mean it was it was it was uh oh no no i'm uh, that was actually with Sean, so that was probably, uh, uh, probably early 2000. So it was probably like around 2000 when we're because I actually uh, became a business partner with Sean, and I was going to school at the time, so I was kind of helping him out uh, with his website and also with sales. And we would do you know group buys on you know Zovia and stuff, and I would do a little bit of, like installation on the side. So I was already like kind of hustling you know on the side in college. So, okay. Yeah. And when you say Zovia, you mean Zovia.net, like the, yeah. the forum? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I yeah. remember all that stuff, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little younger than you guys, but I got bit by the bug pretty hard in like 2000, 2001. Yeah. Like 12-year-old Austin was reading like Sport Compact Car and like <laughs> Super Street and like for a while, there was a drifting magazine that was out. It was just like just drifting. Yeah. Um, there was Import Racer around that time too. Yeah. Like all of these magazines that are now just gone, uh, really kind of like formed my childhood. And it's all they were all like right around that time that you're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah. That was when uh, the 240 started to get noticed, and then also the SR swap just started to like yeah. you know people start to realize oh like you take the K out and the SR just drops right in. Yeah. Uh, the hardest thing was wiring and. Y y you know, there was no information on the wiring, so that was a difficult part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once you had the diagram, then you know you had to actually learn how to read the you know the wiring diagram. And I had no idea. I just <laughs> looked at all the positives, and I just grouped all the positives, and then just 
put it straight to the positive terminal. <laughs> it was pretty ghetto. But then, you know, once I did one or two and then when I got to mine, I started to figure out, you know, what relays were and, you know, like what, uh, you know, some of the switch 12 meant and things like that. And once I started to understand, I actually started to, you know, clean up my wiring and actually right. had a functional car. And uh, actually one of the diffi most difficult thing was figuring out the wiper wiring that took me forever but yeah <laughs> but it was fun yeah yeah i can imagine mm -hmm. now when you guys were importing uh front clips were you you know doing right hand drive conversions too were you were you using those then or were you mostly just using just the engine and maybe some of like the headlights to do the front end swaps uh so in japan uh you know they have this uh annual um card check called shikan and basically uh it, it's the it's you know, like a government, like kind, kind of like emissions here, but they check the whole car. And if there's, if they think the car is unsafe for the public road and they're very strict. So the, even if you, if your car is starting to rust, they'll tell you, you got to fix it and come back and retake the test. And, uh, if, if it doesn't p pass the test, they actually, um, make you, you know, throw out the car. Really? And then, yeah. And then, uh, the junkyards will cut the car in half because, you know, you couldn't export, uh, full, you know, the, full yeah, full, right. Yeah. And back then, um, because it was so, you know, it, it wasn't common to, you know, export SR engines out, um, and to protect the engine and all, also everything around it. Um, you know, we thought it was better to get front clips and, uh, obviously shipping was, you know, expensive. And, yeah. Yeah. Front clips back then were ridiculous. You know, it was very expensive, but, um, uh, we didn't really know any other way. So, um, that's why we brought it in. But usually the front clips come pretty bare, no body panel. Sometimes you get a body panel here or there, but they're all busted. Uh, we thought about doing a right-hand drive conversion, but, you know, we didn't have the time or, or money or even right. facility to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. we never done one. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I don't think it was really until people started doing a lot of SR20 swaps that people really started respecting the S chassis here in the States. You know, it's, I mean, for the most part, they were, you know, mostly under power. The K is a truck motor. You know, KATs mm -hmm. are cool. Mm -hmm. But I really think it was the, the potential of the SR20 that really, at least from, from me reading magazines as a, as a, you know, middle school kid, that's what really kind of piqued my interest. Yeah, back then, I think SR was regarded a lot different. Um, you know, it was, it was something that you were saving up, you know, to do. It was something, you know, uh, it was like, a, you know, I don't know, like people put SR on a pedestal, like it was, it was the best thing in the world. Right. Uh, you know, so back then, yeah, I mean, there was different, definitely different view. And once, uh, you know, cause everyone knew 240 chassis was capable, but you know, it always lacked power. So you had the solution where, you know, um, you could just throw in this engine from Japan that it came with and, you know, it runs, uh, better than the KA, makes more power, revs higher, um, incredibly fun to drive. So, you know, car goes from, you know, this sports car wannabe thing to an actual sports car. So, yeah, I mean, it was, everyone wanted to do it, but, you know, lack of parts, support, uh, information, um, price, uh, to do swap, um, you know, it definitely was not a common thing back then. Yeah. yeah. So now when you, before you went to college, were you a car guy back then? Were you like into Hondas and stuff, and that's how you started hanging out with the Honda crew when you went to college? And the one guy happened to have a a 240, or, or what were you well, into before 240s? Well, this is gonna expose how old I am, but <laughs> <laughs> well, back then, uh, 
when I got my well, even before dri- dr- I got my driver's license, I was already doing RC cars. Okay. And uh, nitro or uh, both electric and okay. nitro. Yeah. Okay, so cool. I got pretty deep into it and spent a lot of money, but uh, I wasn't really competitive because uh, you know I was too young. Um, and then once I turned sixteen. Um, Back then, you know, the Apexy Dunk exhaust just came out, and uh, so that was like, you know, the the biggest mod you could do to a car. Uh, so it was a long time ago. So the the whole aftermarket industry wasn't quite mature yet. Um, so the audio scene was a lot bigger and stronger. Uh, so you know, I kind of got into the audio thing for a while. So I, you know, I was more focused on having the biggest subs and biggest bass in my car. So. Were, you, were you going to competitions and stuff? Like no, no. No, not, not that into it, huh? No, not that into it. It was more <laughs> just to, like, show off to friends. Yeah. But I did, you know, I did stuff two 15-inch uh, subs into my mom's uh, Mazda 6 or 6. Nice. And, and uh, yeah, she hated me for that, you know. But it was loud. I mean, like, you know, my friends used to throw up in the back seat. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, because it was so loud. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I started out with the audio thing and then, uh, eventually, you know, the whole, you know, the modif- modifying the car for performance uh, started to kind of like, you know, trickle in. And, yeah, I eventually got into modding my car, you know, uh, shortly after. What what yeah. was your first car? Was it the uh, 626? No, it was okay. probably the first car that I owned was uh, the Ma- Maxima, 95 okay. Nissan Maxima. I think that's what so. Adam Jubay had. Uh, unfortunately, Adam's not here with us right now. He'd be able to answer it. But I'm pretty sure he had a Maxima that his brother now has. Or has had for a long time. Yeah. And he actually uses it to tow their lemons car around and stuff sometimes. It's got a yeah. turbo on it and everything. Yeah. It still has VG30 in it, but. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, did some light mods to it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it kind of got me started. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I really got into it when, you know, I picked up my 240, yeah. you know, when I went to college. And okay. that's when I got the the bug and went crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess having, having the Maxima and then going to the 240, mm-hmm. uh, you were already a Nissan guy. So yeah. it's kind of an, a little bit of an easier sell for you. Well, I, I didn't even really, you know, look at the 240 as like a Nissan thing. And like, I was like a Nissan guy. Cause I, I really wasn't like, you know, really into it, into it. Like some, some of my friends were. Um, so like, I just saw the car and just, something about it you know the the pop-up lights and uh the sleek lines there's nothing else on the road and you know just watching the option you know videos and what you could turn that you know because stock 240s you know come on like they're pretty ugly yeah so you know you you take this ugly looking 240 sports car wannabe and then you know in option you know uh tapes like I was just blown away. Like it's a completely different car. It looked amazing to me, and uh, I was just like mind blown. Like I, I, I became like obsessed with it once I, you know, watched the, the video, and and then I started to you know pick up magazines, and you know I was just like, whew, like you know, uh, probably the video that got me was the, uh, um, you know, probably, uh, the video with, um, oh my god, I'm blanking out, but, uh, like you know. Uh, the first, uh, uh, I'm going to shoot myself for this, but <laughs> it's one of the earlier DVDs where they had like, um, you know, the 180SX shootouts and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's when I, yeah, got really hooked into it. I remember, it. Yeah. I think the, the car for me, I used to want a 240 when I was in high school really bad. And the car that did it for me, I think it was, didn't, did Signal Auto have two like midnight blue cars on gold Volks? 
Um, yeah, yeah. One of them was like a, a Sil 80 conversion. Yeah. So it was yep. the, you know, the 180 with the S15 front end. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, I fell in love with that car so much. It was in Sport Compact Car or, or you know, or Super Street. Yeah. And that, I saw that and was like, oh my God, I need a 240. Yeah. I need a 240 so bad. It actually, we were, I was 15 and one of my friends, when he turned 16, he bought an S13. And that was always the plan. But as things go when you're in high school, like he never had the money and he took it to college with us and everything too. And he still sold it bone stock. Like he didn't do anything to it. <laughs> yeah. it, was a, it was a good car though. We, uh, we had a lot of fun in that thing. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, for me, that one, that one specifically really did it. So it's almost like the same thing with you watching, you know, some of your, the option, option stuff. I'm sure there was probably one car in particular that, you know, you saw and you're like, oh my God, that is awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's so many to name actually, yeah. but you know, just the 180 SX particular, yeah. you know, just the 180 SX, uh, did it, you know, like the, the coupe, I didn't, you know, really pay attention too much, but you know, like Tani, uh, not Tani, uh, Koguchi's, uh, you know, the black street 180, uh, that was probably the car, um, you know, that, uh, I idolized back then. Um, my dog just farted. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, th- like that car was probably, you know, my goal you know i think and uh yeah i mean you know back then the quality of the builds you know um at that time in japan you know and and also that was a time when japan's uh aftermarket scene was really booming and really strong and you know the u.s actually was quite behind uh during that time so you know and then back then it was just all you know 180s and uh sylvia's and so it's just like you know that was it for me like i i thought japan was much you know mature uh they're better at at tuning so you know i was like okay you know this makes sense you know i want to do the do the 180sx i want to do the sr swap and you know the whole nine yards you know um and uh, that's how i got started okay know? mike how did uh, how did you get into cars um you know dave being the older brother i kind of you know had to kind of do my own thing um getting out of college actually uh dave gave me his maxima just like oh Adam really okay passed on his <laughs> maxima that's awesome um i got into uh maxima.org forums and um doing a lot of maxima weekend meets and my first mod after dave did some modifications was a nitrous kit okay wanted to experiment with that after seeing it you know fast and furious yeah and of course i uh had fun with it and then after i graduated Nissan 350Z was about to get released in 2003. 2003, yeah. So I actually put money down to be on the waiting list. Oh, really? And then uh, after I told Dave what I did, Dave was like, cancel it, got to get a 240. And happens to be that one of my friends was actually getting drafted to the Korean military. He had a black S14. Um, Really rare. There's no options on the car whatsoever, no sunroof. And he needed to get rid of it really fast, so I... Ended up picking it up, canceled my um, waiting list with the 350. That's still the same one you have now. I still have it. Yeah. Wow. Actually, Dave has his original 180. Uh, really? At home too. We both have original card we started with. That's awesome. So, that's really cool. I think that's like with Adam and his EF. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam. Adam still has the same car that he's had all of these years. Yep. And while other cars come and go, you still you hold on to that one. Yeah, my my uh, first hatchback I had over twenty five years. So wow. Yeah, yeah mine's seventeen years. I've had it. Ah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so I should have never sold my S two thousand, man. That's what started <laughs> everything for me. Yeah. 
So, so when you were going to like Maxima meets and stuff, did you ever run into Adam back then? You know, I mu- who knows? Adam you know, or, or maybe honest, Jeremy? Yeah. You know, I, I was a, one of the few that had a burgundy, you know, colored Maxima with a carbon fiber hood back then. And yeah, I thought it was the coolest car ever, you know, <laughs> but and like hundred uh, neon lights inside and outside. <laughs> Yes. That was a style back then. Yes, man. it was. Yes. It looked like, uh, looked street like glow. Tron. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it looked like Tron driving on So did you go, did you go to the Fast and the Furious premiere with that thing, like thinking you were awesome? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> yeah, you know, after Persian nitrous, yeah. you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, talking about the whole front clip, um, after we sold out and I got my 240, I wanted to do a front you know, clip, uh, SR swap. I had to literally back then drive to... Um, I want to say Louisiana. Really? With my mom's forerunner, with the U-Haul trailer that I rented, go down there and pick up a clip and drive back in one day. Wow. Yeah. That's a big trip, man. That's how it was done back then, you know, when you didn't, you know, they didn't have eBay just to ship out, you know, SRs to you. So I had to go literally drive down, inspect the motor firsthand and drive it back another nine hours on the way back. So, man. Yeah, that was my... uh, Big chunk of my savings that went straight into that. So yeah, so you guys have been around it for for a really really long time. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it you've seen it progress to what it is today. Mm-hmm. I mean, from from where the industry is today, would you ever have imagined 15 years ago that this is where we'd be? Uh, I mean, I it, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. You know, uh, back then, like w- how the industry has will change. You know, you can't really you know see the future, and of, of course. Uh, you know, back then it, everything was so difficult for you know 240. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would have never guessed it would be like this. Yeah, yeah. but um, for sure. Yeah, I know it only uh, probably what mid 2000s is when the swap started getting a little bit more documented. I guess. Um, I think probably in in like 2004 or five. Yeah, was when uh, information started trickling around the internet, and then uh, people start sharing, uh, <clears throat> unlike you know mark um (laughs) so so it was really good uh i think good for the industry because before people you know uh, couldn't find information but like people made it available on on the internet so like you you could just do the swap at home because the wiring was the hardest thing right um so as long as you could you know understand the wiring diagram and you know you understand the schematics then you could actually do it do the swap because everything just fits you know all the uh even the side mount intercooler there's like actually provision to mount, you know, the stock intercooler and stuff. It's like they didn't change anything for the U.S. market car except the engine. Yeah, exactly. Well, and some of the wiring and stuff, obviously. But so they made it, they made it a little, it's like Legos a Mm -hmm. little bit, huh? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So. And then I think also, um, you know, uh, so probably like a year and a half after I started the business, um, I started to, uh, um, you know, get more customers and clients. and, And then also I saw the industry grow. And then, uh, I, wanted to uh and then that's when uh i realized there was lack of uh body kits for this these uh, ch- uh chassis and back then it was Irabuni, uh c west and bomax okay so it was like ugly uglier and ugliest <laughs> so <laughs> and uh and and like you they didn't even have the kits in stock anyway so uh you really couldn't like make the cars look cool like japan so and then you know when you bring um you know and i was also importing gp sports body kits but those kits were after importing was around like three grand for a full kit yeah like front bumper side skirts and rear bumper so it was ridiculous so and and uh that's when i saw in drifting goku magazine this company called origin lab 
and uh, they just started like in 2004 and uh, they had these body kits that were affordable uh good looking and uh, good quality so i contacted them and uh you know they're a new company i was a new company uh the you know the vice president was around my age he's a little bit older but he's a younger guy so you know we kind of connected and uh you know i secured um sole exclusive rights for the us and uh, started to bring, bring in uh, origin kits and it was actually really difficult because um you know i think this was when bomex was actually going out of business and cos was having some uh issues with the law because it was actually bring, uh, imported by rb motoring and they were going through some issues back then. So um, so it was like when I tried to sell these kits, people didn't believe that I actually had these kits for the <laughs> price that I was selling. Um, but then once, you know, after a little bit, uh, people, you know, start to realize, oh, wow, like there is a Japanese body kit at affordable price and it's good looking and whatnot. And I think I really feel the whole 240 uh, market with the, the body kits because that's when all these like really good looking cars start popping up in magazines on the internet uh and then that's you know when i met um uh, mark at fat lace mark arsenal and him and uh jay and a couple other friends had you know really cool cars and then uh you know they hit me up for some body kits and then also asked me about wheel fitment and you know me and mike uh we also kind of like introduced the you know quote unquote hella flush fitment uh, <laughs> and you know we we basically you know just try to emulate what Japan was doing was trying to get the wheel and tire fitment, you know, as, as close as, you know, possible to the fender. And like back then people didn't even believe that, you know, you could fit 17 by 10 inch wheels on back of a 240. And, uh, you know, I had to actually take pictures and post up on Zilvia and to show people that it, it that could be could. done. Yeah. And then we also introduced the uh, fender pulling uh i think to america like you know we start doing it on our cars really not thinking about it but you know japan was doing it and we just try to emulate that style because i really like the look and so we started doing that and you could really get tight fitment on the the wheels and tires and and basically you know i told uh mark and you know jay at um uh fat lace and about the fitment and you know how they can make the cars cool and those guys really, you know, they're like marketing, you know, geniuses. So those guys like, you know, just blew up the internet with their cars and yeah. their wheel fitment. And then same thing, like all the locals around me were, you know, kind of like learning how to do uh, all the wheel fitment and stuff. And, you know, you really couldn't do like these big wide wheels on a smaller Hondas, you know, it just, you know, just wouldn't fit. offset, yeah, offset yeah. doesn't work that way. So, and then I start to, um, you know, uh, fit these uh three-piece wheels with deep dish lip on on the wheels and and then i think that's when you know the, the market kind of start to change and then also uh that was uh, i think back in 2004 or 5 you know uh formula d wasn't around it was d1 gp usa yeah i remember that yeah and then i sponsored a lot of the falcon tire team uh back then it was the drift lines crew um you know i was sponsoring uh you know jr back when he was you know driving his 240 and um chris forsberg and uh oh my gosh um a <laughs> bunch of these og guys um sorry if i don't remember your names but <laughs> um but yeah like all these guys and then you know people start seeing you know origin kits on these competition cars on the internet and then uh and that was actually my uh first uh, big breakthrough what was the origin okay yeah and and I'll, and i also think that um if if it wasn't for the 
the Origin, you know, body kit, I think the market probably wouldn't have progressed so fast because that like fueled the, the the 240 industry because like made it accessible it some, to well it was back then it was so many civics and you know honda you know and that was when the evil just kind of got introduced but it, you know people didn't really know what to do with them yet so the the 240 market was just like starting to boom and, and then now you had the style factor and it was something new like when you see a 240 on the street you know next to like hundreds of you know these other cars it just stood out so the market just blew up you know yeah and um and i think that really fueled the, the industry overall and you know aftermarket companies are making more parts uh importers are you know bringing in sr parts and all these you know other things so yeah and we, we're still doing origin and yeah we're still uh you know uh trying to always introduce something new you know for style and things like that so yeah yeah so i know you know for the most part um your business kind of started with with a lot of drift stuff yeah um when did you guys start drifting yourselves and, and you know and driving a little bit um i i started drifting probably you know a few days after i got my 240 okay because <laughs> <laughs> uh you know I, I had a couple of friends who already had 240s and right we're all trying to you know drift <laughs> but it was just more like skidding around because we didn't have diffs back then so and we're all like stock ks but <laughs> stock k yeah. open diff yeah yeah so it was scary <laughs> you know I, I still have some core uh some frame damages back from back then um underneath my car but uh yeah i mean we we would just you know mess around on the street at night and uh uh you know our biggest uh, uh probably practice you know sessions were in the winter uh, much easier yeah. yeah in yeah. minnesota we got plenty of that yeah. so yeah i did plenty of snow drifting and that's where i learned uh you know how to drift yeah so and then yeah just lack of uh, events uh kind of prevented you know me to really do anything because you know you get in trouble for you know drifting on the street so right it was like here and there but i didn't really like start you know learning how to really drift until probably like a year after i started my business that's when i actually start to actually focus more on you know setting up the car properly and actually going out to the track and try to you know, improve myself so okay yeah before that it was just more for you know kind of fun and see if i could do it yeah <laughs> yeah so and now more recently you guys have gotten into doing a lot of track stuff you yeah. know like uh like mike used to come to the track with the frs with the shop frs or was it a brz i, I can't FRS. remember yeah frs back you know what was that 2013 2012, 2013, 2013, when those cars first yeah. kind of came out. I know you guys had, had had one as a shop car and yep. started tracking it um, then. Uh, did you do any track stuff before any of that? Um, yeah, a little bit with the Evo that I had. Oh, that's right. Um, but, yeah, you were actually like my benchmark for the time. Oh, yeah? Ginger Man. I was like, we got to get these times, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the driver you were, I couldn't get those times no nah, just just luck man i had a tailwind <laughs> yeah, right. tailwind that day <laughs> so but no i that's that's when i really you know started talking to you on on a more regular basis yeah um, i kind of knew who you were just from from the toge factory stuff before and seeing you guys at meets uh, but when you started coming to the track i mean you know me i was a track rat i was yep. like always there yep. and we'd run into each other yep. so it was uh it was really cool yeah for sure so but yeah so the past couple of years i know you guys have made uh, a larger focus on some of the track stuff mm -hmm. you know obviously supporting the grid life events i knew you guys had even before you started tracking there were some some nasa time trials drivers and stuff that you guys were were helping out with a, a couple things too yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now you're actually out participating yourself. And I'm actually looking out the window right now. You now have a, <laughs> uh, a new S550 that you've been, yeah. what, probably the last year or two? 
Uh, um, it just hit been a year now this okay. month. So. Okay. Yeah, so last year it was mostly stock when you yep. first brought it out, and then I think you did the suspension. Yep. And then now it looks like you've done a lot of work to it over, over the winter. A lot more suspension work, and uh, we actually worked with uh, ProCharger. Uh, yeah, so I, actually, saw, I saw the sticker when we came yeah. in. I was like, huh. Well, the funny thing is that PRI started asking these questions about how, you know, the supercharger is in the S550 with, you know, heat issues. And he actually kind of was like, you know, we don't have a lot of data on that. He's like, want to help us out? Want to test it out? I'm like, yeah, of course. So now we're actually um, planning to do some on-track testing for him. We have two intercooler kits we want to test out just to see how the, you know, intake air temps differ on track and things like that. So Okay. Um, it's great to see more S550s on track, to be honest, especially in grid life. It's, yeah. I have a nemesis there. So yeah. Who, er- Eric, <laughs> Eric. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's fun to come, you know, to play around with him. So yeah, we missed you at, uh, in mid Ohio this weekend. Yeah. I was trying to get the car ready, but, um, you know how it is. It's just always that last minute struggle and trying to get the car ready. I just didn't want to go with the car that was halfway there. So, yeah. but no, I'll be there for the next one for sure. All right. Yeah. We're, uh, we're looking forward to, to having you guys there this season, man. Definitely. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I, uh, I just remembered uh, on Sunday, I was talking to Dan Lewis in the morning uh, or in the afternoon on Saturday. And, um, you know, we're talking about the car and everything and how he had just gone to, to triple adjustables mm-hmm. from the single adjustables that, that you guys helped him out with. And uh, later on that or on Sunday, I was walking by his car and it looked like him and Mike Puglisi were in there. And I was like, you know what? I bet they're on the phone with Dave from Toge Factory. <laughs> and I asked him later because he actually he went out and I think dropped like a second and a half or two seconds that next session. And I was like, man, I bet he asked Dave like what he needed to do to help dial the suspension in a little bit. And I asked him afterwards. He's like, yep, it's exactly what I was doing. So, <laughs> so I don't know if you want to give away any of the stuff that you told him. Um, but obviously, you guys do are doing a lot more suspension stuff these days and a lot of custom setups and you know things for people that are specific to their needs. Uh, what, what sort of things are you guys offering now? Um, <clears throat> so back in uh, 2006 uh, was when I started to, you know, think about suspension and, you know, what's available for the market. Um, 2006, uh, you had basically uh, HKS coilovers, Tane coilovers, and Megan Racing. So you had these, um, you know, very expensive coilovers, and then you had the the less expensive and not so good coilovers. So you didn't really have anything in between that was good quality. So I, you know, me bringing so many different brands of coilovers from Japan when I started, I got to basically drive on everything, like from bad to, you know, really good. So um, I, I kind of knew, like, you know, I didn't really understand suspension, but I, didn't, I knew what I wanted to feel and what the differences were. Uh, like twin tube, monotube, inverted monotube, you know, things like that. So, um, and then um, basically uh, in 2006, you know, I start to um, do some research and start to look for uh, a manufacturing company to work with me. And um, there was at the time um, a company called K-Office in Japan, actually one of the biggest, you know, uh, suspension company in Japan. And and the manufacturer, the factory that was making the dampers for K-Office. And K-Office went out of business in 2005 um, for whatever reason. And they filed bankruptcy and they just closed down just overnight. So the fact, the manufacturer of K-Office was actually looking for a partner. And uh, I just literally ran into them. 
And uh, I recognized the product right away because, you know, I brought in so many K-Office used coilovers. So, you know, we started talking and then, you know, uh, we basically, you know, collaborated on, you know, working together. And then um, I, you know, started to test their product and I knew instantly, like, this was what uh, the next, um, you know, level of, you know, coilover was, you know, something that uh, was affordable but uh, didn't, um, you know, sacrifice performance and, uh, you know, and, and K-Office, like, made incredible suspension. And so a lot of their development and know-how came from, you know, working with K-Office. So, and then basically we introduced uh, our uh, line uh, called Stand Suspension. And this is in, you know, 2000, early, like, 2006 uh, when we first started. Um, so, like, the word stance back then didn't really have any meaning. Uh, we yeah, there wasn't like stance cars. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there yeah, a... yeah. We we stance actually... was just how the car sat. Like, yeah. hey, that's got a nice stance to it. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. you know like something you know that was similar to the, the the meaning of footwork for the cars. And you know, I thought it was very short, catchy, and uh, you know, we came up with the name, and you know, uh, it was instant hit uh, initially, and then. Um, and then uh, we start to just you know get the coilovers in the hands of you know mostly just like the people I know, um, and people start switching out you know from Tains to you know back then Silk Road Silk Road was popular, and you know just reviews just start coming out and people are just like blown away how good the you know the shocks were, and then the word got out to the you know uh, the D1 GP and I think Formula D was just starting I don't know. Um, the pro guys and then the pro guys started to, you know, um, wanted to test out the products. And then, uh, we started to work with Injuku racing, uh, their two car team back then. And then Injuku started to really kick ass, uh, in pro level. And a lot of our sponsor drivers started to kick ass. And then, um, and then, yeah, we had, you know, really strong presence, uh, in like the following, uh, couple of years. And then I, I want to say that I'm actually responsible for the stance, uh, trend because once, our our brand started to kind of like grow and then a lot of uh, uh feature cars and magazines start to come out and then people start to refer to these like really low wide uh good looking cars uh with you know with our suspension because all the the wide low cars had our suspension on it and magazines and then you know i think 2008 or 7 uh like stance nation and stance works or something yeah you know, these websites start popping up uh, because the word stance start to actually become a like a noun or verb, you know, it right. became a thing now. So yeah, yeah, and then and then it just kind of exploded from there. And then yeah, now that you know, there's like a you know almost like a you know I don't even know like it's I, I think it's like <laughs> has so many meanings now. So, yeah. You know, so what's crazy um, to me is that you know from from my standpoint, the same people like yourselves that are responsible for like some of the SR swaps and some of the big performance things. You know, also we're kind of behind some of the the stance and hella flush movement too. Mm -hmm. You know, just because you liked yeah. it, you thought it was yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's you know that's really interesting to me. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And I I don't think some of our listeners will know any of that either until they they hear it. You know, yeah, so that's yeah. that's really cool yeah. to me. Yeah. So like um, same same people, just different different types of projects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So exactly. yeah, so and then there's also negative connotation for the word. So we we sometimes tend to struggle with new customers when they. You know, uh, uh, you know, want to know about us? They think right. our suspension is only for being stanced out cars, which yeah. is actually the opposite because we've actually never had interest in that type of uh, uh, style or things. But you know, uh, 
you know, we just took it in stride. And then basically I just start to, um, you know, and then I think uh, in 2008 or something like that, uh, I actually invested in Aurorik Shock Dino. I think we were actually one of the first ones to oh, offer. Oh, see, I didn't realize you'd yeah. had it that long. Maybe it was only because yeah. I started talking to Mike in like 2013. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew you guys had done that stuff. Yeah. So I, I recant my previous statement when I was opening up the show. Yeah, there's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I uh, got a shock time because I wanted to see and learn myself because, you know, shock is something that takes lifetime to learn. And uh, you can't just like go ask somebody or, you know, buy a book there's nothing around that that's available and there's so many different ways you can you know uh do the valving and the way you set up the the balance and there's no uh you know there's never really wrong way i mean there's a lot of wrong ways but like there's different ways you can approach yeah. you know different solutions so uh there's there's so much information that i didn't know about i just knew our shocks worked but i didn't i didn't know why you know and then um so I, I I invested into the Rorig. They're very expensive. Yeah. So as a small business back then, you know, it was a huge investment for me. And um, and the reason why, like, I I didn't really um, like announce it was because I actually it took me a few years to actually learn using the dyno and to actually learn about you know how to like go about valving it and understanding suspension. And so basically, I still relied on you know our engineers in, in, at our manufacturing plant to do it, but. You know, they also, you know, were kind of limited because they, they didn't really um, know what I needed and I didn't know how to explain to them. So basically I would tell them like the, you know, things that I thought were right and I would have to just get it into hands of uh, pro drivers. And, and I think um, the, the, the first team that I really started offering custom setup was in Juke Racing. And we started to really mess with the valving and, you know, spring rates and things like that because uh, they're sponsored by Cooper Tires. And I don't want to say any negative things, but they weren't the fastest tires on the grid, so uh, they were struggling a little bit. And then, you know, we start to I, I basically just would send them, you know, a pair of dampers. I, I go try, try this. Try this. Yeah. yeah, send them springs. Try this, and then eventually they will find a setup. They're like, wow, this works. And then, you know, we would just keep trying that way. Right. And then, uh, and then I met Forrest probably a year after uh, Forrest I started. Wang. Forrest Wang. Yeah, yeah. Forrest Wang. Mm -hmm. uh, a year after I started my business and. Forrest, you know, heard about our suspension, and he was on Tains back then, and, um, you know, he told me right away, he's like, I can't, you know, drive my car because it's too bouncy, you know, <laughs> things like that, and I, you know, I heard, you know, I knew about Forrest because his, his car is so badass, and, you know, we started to work with him, and, and same thing, I started to just, you know, send dampers and spring rates, and we still actually still mess around with suspension with Forrest now, till now, we're always improving, and, uh, and the Forrest was one of those few drivers that, you know, could just like feel the difference and know exactly what it does and you know he didn't understand suspension but he knew what he wanted right so and he was probably one of the uh the drivers that really helped me to kind of like develop a certain like setup and then uh 2000 late 2007 um i started working with takatori um Michi michihiro uh who, who was a d1 gp pro driver and also fd driver and he also tried drove a car in the U.S. Uh, built by Bridges Racing with our suspension on it, and he loved it. And the fact that we're based out of U.S. was a big, you know, point uh, for him. So we uh, opened up a, a Japan office in uh, Kyoto, uh, near Osaka. Okay. So we actually have a headquarter in Japan as well. And Takatori also really helped me to. 
kind of understand and you know how Japan is setting up their you know cars and and dampers and things like that, and we start to kind of bounce ideas and you know with the setups and you know and he also and then basically I also had a lot of information that he didn't know about, so I start to you know bounce some ideas to him and he kind of uh, start to you know try my uh, setup and it starts to work for him in Japan. And all the guys on 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 our suspension in Japan were doing so well, and then you know he would give me feedback on cars that I didn't have a lot of experience, and we started to kind of like work that way. And yeah, now like you know we have uh, amazing drivers like Naoki Nakamura, who you know just loves our suspension, and we got Forrest Wang and Alec Conadale, like all these top drivers. I have uh, you know uh, Jack Shanahan, uh, Connor Shanahan, 18 and 13 year old. Mm. Uh, kids in Europe, uh, and Jacks won the British Championship tw- two years in a row. Um, and then there's Thomas Keeley, who's another 16 year old that's up and coming. So all these, you know, uh, drivers all across yeah. the world. Yeah, there's all these. You know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there, especially with a lot of people that listen to this show um, about drift car suspension setups. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of write it off like, hey, how much do you actually have to do? But mm-hmm. it's actually very complicated. I mean, they're very highly engineered yeah. suspension setups because, you know, at the end of the day, you have to have a ton of car control and know exactly what that car is going to do and it's got to be predictable and yeah. you have to be able to tune it for each specific, you know, course that you're running. I, I'd say even if they change the layout, you know, during the course of an event, you probably have to make some setup tweaks too. Or, you Definitely. know, based on temperature, track temps, things like that. You know, there's there's some... Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I'm not divulging you know, any secrets. Yeah, I, I'm I'm actually on the track in FD, and I know a lot of teams actually, like, don't have... Just run it? Yeah, they <laughs> most drivers, I want to say most drivers and teams will just run, like, a certain setup they like, and they don't really go far from it because they don't really have a dedicated suspension tuner. Yeah. So... Like, I know, but, I know some drivers out there do... And uh, some they're, do making, they're yeah. making changes, uh, you know, a fairly decent amount. But yeah. some of the other guys are just, you know, run what you brung and let it all hang out, right? Most, Literally. Most, yeah, most, <laughs> most teams don't really mess with the suspension too much. Okay. Right? But it but, is very um, important for them to, you know, to get it dialed in. And, you know, it's the engineering for the suspension setup has to be very specific. Yeah, for sure. Like when I work with Forrest, um, you know, we, we adjust the dampers based on tire wear uh, speed, also track conditions, um, and also, um, you know, things that forest, you know, requires. Um, so, you know, I would probably, you know, make a lot of changes during the first practice just to, you know, see which way we want to go. So, um, yeah, it's pretty common that we would actually, you know, change the damper setting maybe, you know, five, six times in in a day of practice. Okay. Um, How much of that, you know, uh, suspension engineering knowledge transfers over for when you're doing road course shocks and things like that? Is it, is it all pretty similar? I don't want to say too much (laughs) because, uh, working on the grid with FD teams, I realize a lot of teams don't actually know, uh, and understand, um, platform control. Right. And a lot of teams just kind of work with what they got. But I, I do want to say that the uh, the fundamentals are very similar uh, with road racing, um, but you know the 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 actual like um, you know valving and the forces that you require are actually a lot different because for road racing you're trying to maximize um, you know the tire grip and try to get to the uh, the maximum grip as fast as possible. Um, 
and you try to reach that limit without surpassing that limit. Tire has a, a, a limit. You know, every tire has a limit where you know they'll provide the the maximum grip. But then once you, you surpass yeah, you it, it will actually it and, yeah, yeah the tires will actually start to scrub. So in drifting, it's it's di- kind of difficult. I, I actually find drifting more difficult than road racing um, because with drifting, you're dealing with a car that's actually you know burning the tires, and uh, underneath the tire there's a thin layer of oil that uh, you know from because tires made out of from uh, petroleum, so yeah. so it, it, there's a layer of oil that you kind of like slide across on. So you're trying to fight that um, you know that layer of film of oil and gases, and then also trying to you know get the tires to dig into the ground. But at the same time, you're trying to give you know compliance to the drivers so they can feel the car. And you know like with Forrest, uh, you know he he you know drives very aggressive wheel speed, you know extremely you know, uh, smoky, you know, uh, fast wheel speed and a lot of angle. Um, so, you know, his setup's a little bit, you know, towards his driving style. And, you know, Alec worked with Forrest for two years, and Alec is actually the opposite. Alec's setup is completely different. Alec is very fast. Um, he's likes, prefers more, like, grippy, kind of like, you know, want to bully up on people kind of setup. So, you know, he prefers a certain setup that's a little bit different than Forrest. So, you kind of have to also cater to the driver field and their their feedback too. So right. you try to find a solution you know, to make it comfortable where they feel confident. Because with drifting, it's such a f- feel, you know, like you know, driving where you can't just teach them, you know, hit the apex and go do this. Yeah. Like they have to go go out and trust their instincts, and they have to develop their skills. And actually, they have to actually understand, you know, what they actually want to. Some drivers don't even know what they want. So uh, with with Alec, it was actually quite difficult because um, he's, you know, amazing driver. He's very young, but has no experience. So um, he struggled the first year, finished last place, and then uh, following year, he uh, changed suspension to ours and uh, nothing else really. But uh, it made a huge difference for him, and uh, you know, he really, you know, just started to improve right away. But I really like couldn't you know figure out what he wanted because he couldn't tell me what he wanted either. He just kept telling me he felt you know, better than what he had before, and it was good, but he didn't know what was good about it. So I just started to just kind of like, you know, test him to, you know, see what he preferred. And then, um, yeah, I think the first year that I started working with him, it took me like a few events. And then and then he started to feel, you know, because I would just like go one direction and, you know, I would tell him, okay, tell me if this is better or if that's better. And he would start to feel the differences and he would tell me, okay, I think I, I prefer that setup. And then yeah, over the time, then he would just, you know, let me know. Now he just tells me exactly what he wants. And, yeah, it's actually <laughs> pretty demanding. <laughs> but, so yeah. in, in your experience, you know, how much difference can valving make, I guess? You know, if you leave all everything else the same, but you change the valving. Like, so, say the car is understeering, right? But, you know, you revalve it differently. Can you mm-hmm. get it to stop understeering just based on, on valving? Yeah. Um, okay. So... With Forrest and Alec, we work with uh, the XR3s, which are three-way adjustable. So you have the rebound adjustment and the low speed and high speed high compression. Speed. Right. So um, what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you know, f- find the 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 mechanical grip, um, but you also want to, you know, to absorb that initial because these cars make so much power. So you're trying to absorb some of that impact, the torque that that these tires see. So you know you're trying to absorb that. The initial hit, but then you're trying to, you know, ev- uh, gradually build up the mechanical grip so that you know tires actually moving the car forward. So um, 
and it's all about you know for me for drifting because um, you don't have downforce. You don't. You're not really, you know, getting into the really uh, um, high G. So you can't really load up the tires uh, quickly. So you kind of have to figure out a, a good solution. And the best solution is, you know, like I start to study a lot of circle track and off road and rally uh, uh, suspension. And um, and it actually really helped me understand, you know, what drifting car needs. And I started to actually focus on uh, weight transfer and also. Uh, using, um, you know, uh, kind of unorthodox, you know, methods um, to just kind of test my theories. And uh, and then also me being a driver too, I would go out each time and I would have, you know, different setup on my car. I would try alignments. I would, you know, have a weight ballast, you know, in my car. And I would also try different spring rates and I would, you know, throw on different dampers and just kind of feel what, what it does and also, you know, um, data log, you know, as much information as possible. And, and also just willing to just kind of uh, think outside the box and trying to, you know, uh, try different setups. Um, and and that really helped me understand. And then also working with, you know, drivers too, like Forrest, who's, you know, always giving me feedback on what he wants and what he likes. So, right. Yeah. And and just using that kind of, uh, you know, experience um, and just learning and just taking a lot of notes, <clears throat> I start to really figure out, the, um, you know, how, how you can control uh the the platform on drift cars so right. so and there's a lot of different ways to go about it too you see in fd a lot of cars are you know don't have much movement in their chassis and some cars like you know jr has you know looks like a, a stadium truck um so you know there's different ways to go about it and, and with suspension everything's a compromise so if you want to achieve you know something you're going to give up something else right so yeah it's, it's finding the the happy medium yeah for you yeah, yeah it's all about yeah, it's all about, all about having the right balance. So, but yeah, there's a lot of ways you can go wrong uh, on suspension because uh, there's a lot of misinformation on the internet too. And I I also think you know um, you know a lot of these uh, marketing and you know, these companies using hype marketing too and um, to like sell products to customer consumers is actually hurting a lot of consumers on their development because. Um, you know, there's like so much emphasis on certain valving or, you know, like currently, uh, there's a lot of emphasis on like double digressive, you know, valving and, uh, that valving is, you know, has its pros and cons too, but it's not all, you know, like the best valving for, you know, everything it's not. And, but it has its own place. Right. And, uh, but like, you know, everyone thinks that's, if you have that valving, you know, that shock's going to do everything, you know, well, so you know, that's, that's where it gets tricky. Cause like you try to explain to customers that, you know, cause we have three different pistons and we have, you know, linear, uh, high flow digressive, uh, we have double digressive piston and things like that. So we try to, you know, find a solution for that driver and his car and you can do it in different ways. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all about, you know, having a right balance and just trying to find the solution for that person. But okay. yeah. For for road course stuff, mm -hmm. I mean, what's the most common thing that you see screwed up uh, that that many enthusiasts do? Is it like over um, overspringing the car or? Yeah, so it, so you know, people understand you have to go to a higher spring rate, but they don't really understand why. Um, so uh, basically, the you know, without getting too complicated, the easiest way is to basically if you take your foot on the ground and you push it, like your shoe's gonna slide. But if you push it down harder, it's going to slide less. So, and car works a similar way. Uh, the softer spring is going to 
absorb that initial body roll and instead of going into the tires it goes into the shock because spring's not able able to support that load going to the outside tire so when that energy is not going to the tire it gets goes into the shock so the energy isn't transferred into the tire so your tire actually floats over the uh the surface of the uh the tarmac so by increasing the spring rate now the spring is resesting the body roll and that force transfers transfers into the tires, the tires more directly. which pushes the tire into the the uh the ground and that also you know reduces the time of the tire to reach the maximum grip so that's probably the simplest way i can explain yeah, yeah. and then but you also have to understand that when you start to go up in spring rate because you can put your foot down on the ground and you can push it as hard as you want but once you're Depending on you know if you have cheap shoes or what, but you know if you got like Which payless, would be your tires, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you got like you know payless ten dollars shoes, you know if you even if you push it down hard to the ground, if you got plastic soles, it's gonna slip, right? Yeah. So, so all, those all season tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you go too stiff of a spring rate, you get to that limit faster, but you also lose, you know th- that you, because you reach that limit so fast, you also lose the grip as just as fast too. So you have to find a right balance, you know, where, um, you know, you're going to get that um, grip and not kind of like overshooting that tire's limit. So I think the common mistake is that people tend to go too stiff on the spring rate. Right. Yeah. If you go to like a suspension school, the first thing they tell you is to, you know, use soft, softest spring possible without losing driver's feedback. And, and the reason why is the springs, uh, you know, work with the dampers, and if the spring rate is so stiff, it could overpower the dampers because the dampers at soft setting might be already, you know, have plenty of uh, force there, and you know, spring might bring that level even surpassed it. So, you know, you always want to uh, try to use, um, you know, have a good balance of everything. So, yeah, I think that's probably the most, you know, common issues I think, and also. Um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to say too much, but like, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on rebound damping and, uh, what people don't realize is like, you know, there's, if you go on the internet and, you know, you have these engineers, internet engineers that, you know, think they know it all and then they go, oh, you know, like here's a, sh- you know, shock dyno with this much rebound. And I, I look at the, the, the shock dyno and, you know, the car that it's for and I go, well, you're not going to even use like 50% of that rebound because after a certain point on the rebound, it makes the car, you know, very it, too much rebound can actually hurt car's uh, mechanical grip and right. it actually makes the car Unstable. behave yeah behave really weird and it's actually really hard to drive with too much rebound actually and uh, if you you know um, work with like um, high level teams um, and look at their shock valving, um, you'll be surprised you know. Uh, they tend to use very little rebound and a lot of compression instead. So the current trend right now is uh, compression va- ba- uh, biased valving. Um, you know, a lot of teams are using compression to you know generate grip just because uh, the tire technology has, has improved. Yeah, it's know. gotten really, really good. Even the past like couple years. Yeah, yeah. The only time that you know I think uh, at at this you know um, amateur level racing where people could benefit from a lot of rebound is probably when you start to get into a lot of arrow. And when you have uh, a lot of arrow that actually works, um, you can use a rebound to dy- dynamically pump the car down, and it actually keeps a lot of that, you know, um, that weight down on the car. But, I mean, you got to have, you know, the right 
balance of that too. So yeah. there, there's a lot, lot of uh, yeah things that go into setting up a car. And uh, yeah, definitely like the most common mistake is to just crank up your dampers and try to make it stiff as possible. No, that's that's definitely well, that's wrong. what race cars yeah. feel like, man. They're nice and stiff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you even if you get into a car that's sprung really high, if the the balance on, in the valving and everything's correct, you can actually have a car that's very low fatigue. And obviously, it's not going to ride like your mom's uh, Cadillac, but you know. You should be able to still drive around and not feel like you know, like you just lost you know your brain cells. You know, right. like you can have you know a car that's very stiff and still be compliant even on the street. So, and that's all. It all comes from just proper balancing, you know, of everything. So, yeah, never just like just go like hundred percent this way or that way. Yeah, you know, it all everything has to work in balance. Yeah, I know there's a, there's a lot of drivers that are running you know a lot of the the grid like time attack stuff that mm -hmm. have switched to stance or or gone to even more advanced stances than they were on mm -hmm. before. Yeah, and uh, have seen a lot of success. So it's obvious that uh, that whatever you know and you're sharing with them is is helping. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think it all kind of like came together because um, we we were one of the first to introduce a multi you know, adjustment uh, dampers at our price point. Uh, we first started out with two ways and then we eventually came out three ways. And that actually came from uh, more for drifting just because I realized, uh, you know, the lack of control once I started working at higher level drifting. And I, I, I knew that we needed separate compression and rebound control. And, you know, we actually developed our first GR plus two and GR plus three. Um, it, it worked, but, you know, I have to say, you know, compared to current line of XR2 and XR3, you know, they weren't that great. Um, the problem was we actually over-engineered our, our uh, compression, you know, circuits, and they were too complicated. And, uh, and we, we actually got into a situation where we couldn't figure out how to improve it uh, more to get better performance out of it. So um, I think uh, I developed XR2 and XR3 about two years ago. Okay. Um, and it took me about a year of just trial and error and just trying different things. And also it came from just testing a lot of uh, different uh, top tier brands, uh, you know, on the market, like, you know, uh, Olin's, uh, Olin's, as Europeans say, <laughs> Olin's, uh, Penske's, you know, Jersey, Motons, you name it. Like, you know, we get a lot of dampers in uh, because we also have a shop here. So uh, for customers, so I, I get to test all these different products and, you know, see how they're made and what they're using, you know, the compression circuits and things like that. And, and I'm proud to say that our, you know, XR2 and XR3 was designed from ground up with, you know, nothing copied from anyone else. We developed our own units and, you know, we actually worked for about a year to improve the performance. And there are a lot of things like uh, people don't really talk about, like, you know, hysteresis, friction, uh, cavitation, pressure balancing, and, and those things are hard to understand, but uh, for me as a you know engineer, like those are actually more important than Makes actually what you see on paper. Difference, yeah. Right. Um, so like I try to improve all aspects, and like I can actually sh you know say that our product, uh, the current XR2 and XR3, will rival you know coilovers that cost you know two or three times more than our price range. So yeah, and um, and also just you know me just like working with suspension and. Also working with a lot of teams and drivers um, on you know firsthand really helped me understand you know how like you know car works and and also um, you know I I started doing a lot of road racing back in 2008 when I picked up my Evo 10 and I actually 
found out that I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when I really started to also, you know, test a lot of, you know, different things for roll racing too. And, um, and, you know, also just kind of like working with different teams too. We actually, a lot of people don't know, but we actually work with the uh, Cyber Evil team for one year. Really? Before they call it quits. Yeah. Um, we actually had to bid <laughs> because they, you know, Cyber Evil is such a big name, like, um, and, in Japan, they work a little bit different, so they were actually bidding on you know companies to you know give them product because their contract with Tain was over. So um, they were looking at a couple other different brands, and we sent them our you know shocks, and they actually liked ours, and they chose us. And then uh, that was the year they were trying to make like 800 horsepower and kept blowing up the motors. So they never actually got to compete, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, we did work with them for about a year, and I also learned a lot you know about road racing with them and. We actually campaigned a unlimited class uh, Evo and Redline Time Attack, and we traveled, you know, the whole tour uh, for one year. And we, I really got my hands, you know, deep with that uh, car and learned a lot because we had like, you know, sensors everywhere on the car, and you know, we really took a lot of data. And I started to really understand, you know, aero and you know things like that, and how you know the valving works for road racing, you know, and things like that, and. Um, and yeah, same thing, just working with different teams and drivers, get, getting a lot of feedback and then just trying to find a solution of what they wanted and how they could improve and, you know, just keeping close relationship with them and just constantly improving and constantly learning. So I'm still learning and I'm still improving and yeah, it's, you know, we're doing, uh, better and better, you know, each year with, uh, you know, every aspects of motorsports. So yeah, but, uh. Yeah, suspension is like yeah, it's never ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys at more events, and you know I know some of the drivers you guys are working with, and really excited to see how they do this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know we're uh, you guys are our big sponsors and partners with uh, all of our Grid Life Time Attack stuff too. So, you know I, I know we'll we'll be seeing you guys uh, a lot this season, and uh, looking forward to uh, having some more good times with you guys. Absolutely. So, uh, for people that want to know more about uh, about Toge Factory and about stand suspension, where where can they go and and find stuff out? Uh, you can hit us up at www.tf-works.com, and then uh, the stands website is www.stance-usa.com. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, guys. And thank uh, you. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you.